0: This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 59, and we're recording on Friday, June 27th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're the editors of BookRiot.com. It feels like we're in the middle of summer now. It's like the middle of summer. I kind of got that Malay slash relax thing going on.
1: I do, too. I, well, I'm newly marathoning the West Wing on Netflix.
0: I can not be more excited about this.
1: I'm reading some good books. It's really hot here, mm-hmm. and all I want to do is not work. Does that, that sound like middle of sounds, summer to you? That sounds about
0: right to me. Um, so, and it's a relatively slow week in the, in the book world, but there, as always, a few interesting tidbits. Um, we'll start with our follow-up. Um, unsurprisingly, everyone thinks that Leewood, Kansas, um, grabbed the, 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 wrong end of this fo- uh, the wrong end of this lollipop in uh, coming down on this guy, this kid. Well, is it the kid or the dad? It's a kid.
1: It's- yeah, nine year old Spencer Collins put up a, if you didn't hear last week's show, he put up a little free library in his front yard, and the city of Leewood, Kansas, which is a suburb of Kansas City, uh, ordered him to remove it and threatened him with fines.
0: And so now Lemony Snicket has come down because apparently he is also a thinking person um, to say <laughs> this is terrible. And this has really spread around since last week. I'm seeing a bunch of people link to it. Um, I'm sure the city planner of Leewood, Kansas, had no idea <laughs> what, what he was There's, getting into. The,
1: the commentary has been really fun and funny. To read for the most part, you know, some of the variations on don't city officials have better things to worry about? I've seen lots of great Leslie Nope references, Mm. which always makes me happy. But uh, Lemony Snicket, whose real name is Daniel Handler, is sending uh, nine year old Spencer Collins a bunch of his own books and lending his support to this call for. We would to allow them to keep the tiny library, which the last thing that I read, I believe yesterday morning was that um, Spencer and his family are going like before a city council type meeting to plead their case and get to keep the thing. But there's a Facebook page now in support of the little free library that has like 27,000 likes. likes. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That is not a joke. Um, (laughs) Since it's been like two weeks, essentially. Uh, And um, Michelle, she is an architect and so i told her about it and immediately of course her fuse was lit um and she was like so does no one in leewood have a dog house and i was like oh well
1: probably not in their front yard
0: yeah anyway and so uh, i thought that was that was interesting about that my guess Go My ahead. guess is Leawood is going to turn around on this one. I, I got, I, I'm just putting it out there.
1: Yeah. The city, uh, the mayor of Leewood, her name is Peggy Dunn. She said that the city might be able to make an exception mm-hmm. for Spencer's library on July 7th, which raises the question of why not just decide that this is a net good for the community. And if anyone else in the oh, suburb mm. of Leewood, which is a relatively large place, wants yeah. to have a little free library that they can do it as well. Um, the piece that we're going to link to in the show notes also notes that 15,000 little free libraries have sprung up all over the U.S. Um, and there's a map that can help you locate one so that's pretty cool uh, but the meeting that uh, Spencer and his family will be attending is on July 7th so it's going to be another couple of weeks before this is resolved. It seems to me that this is a ridiculous amount of time for this to take like when we talked about it last week City I thought, I'm thought i
0: surprised it's a month, less than a I month I thought
1: like surely next week we'll be saying oh by the way, Leewood, Kansas Saw well, the air of their I mean, is. I'm
0: sure Councilman Jam was trying to delay <laughs> the proceedings and trying to squeeze you got jammed i think spencer collins got jammed by someone with a notepad and a this is ordinance book
1: clearly the work of an a former (laughs) eagletonian
0: um so (laughs) So spencer we're we're gonna keep you up to date 15 Fifteen thousand little free libraries
1: that's uh, doesn't that make you feel a little better about the world
0: yeah there's a map i should spend some time with that map doing some data analysis um (laughs) yes clearly because uh, that will be a super that's good a use. Of, that's a good use of my time, probably. <laughs> uh, so let's do our first sponsor. Squarespace is back. So it's summertime. Maybe you're out of school. Maybe you've got some, you know, f- summer Fridays. Whatever job you have. Maybe you're thinking about working on that web project that you've been uh, uh, noodling with for a while. You should give Squarespace a try. It's an all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. Here's the deal: for a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code POETRY at the checkout. You get a two-week free trial, and it's not one of those free trials where you have to enter your credit card information and then you accidentally, oops, on purpose get charged when you forget about it. No credit card required, just an email address. They'll set you up with your own domain name that you can show to other people um, and and figure out how to use it. So here's why you should do it. Constantly improving their platform, like they had a Super Bowl ad. Like this is not a joke. Um, they have beautiful designs for you to start with. This is the important part. You start with a nice looking template. All of their templates are use responsive design, which means they're made to adapt to the size of the device that whoever is looking at your website is using. So if they're using a phone, a tablet, a laptop, a 30 inch monitor, the all these templates are designed from the ground up to be beautiful on all of those templates. There's 20 of them, and they're all very highly customizable. They've won a bunch of awards about from places you or I haven't heard of, but they're you know Forbes, Webby's, things like that to use. Here's another thing that's different. So you do have to pay for it. There are other blogging online platforms out there that are free, but you get what you pay for when it's free. One thing that you get with your You know, small $8, $10, depending on how long you sign up for. Monthly fee for Squarespace is is 24-hour-a-day, 7-day-a-week support. They have over 70 employees on their customer care team uh, right here in the Big Apple of New York City um, waiting, eager, anxious um, to talk to you. It starts at just $8 a month, and that includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Unique mobile experience. They have a nice thing, too, they have a little, I was playing with this a few weeks ago. It's called Squarespace Logo, where you can enter in the name of whatever it is you're working on, and it's a very simple text manipulation um, program to make a logo. So it's not just Helvetica or whatever. Um, you can make it in colors. You can bend it around, illustrate, um, things of that nature. So it gives, gives you a nice header. If you want to put it on a business card, you can export it as a PDF or a JPEG um, and use it in other print documents. So. Um, that's uh, Squarespace logo, start with no credit card, build your own website and you could be, you could have a website up in 15 minutes. Um, that's one of the great things to do. If I were starting my own personal website and I started one for a while, which I kept up for about two months, um, until I realized that, Hey, you have no time to do anything ever. Um, I use Squarespace and that's what I would do again in the future. So thanks so much for Squarespace for sponsoring the show. Here's what I would say. If you're going to spend enough time that you're going to be serious about something online at all, you should spend eight bucks a month for the best tool you can get. And I think Squarespace is probably the best tool out there for you.
1: For sure. Um, I can confirm that the summer is a good time to start a blog because I started my first blog on July 1st of, oh, is that two, right? of 2008. 2000. Uh,
0: Mine was April 10th,
1: 2010. And I... Would have paid oh. like f- way more than eight dollars a month to have people just just to have people on call to tell me <laughs> what the heck yeah. I was supposed to be. doing. I mean, doing. all the things you
0: want to do with the blog, you know, Twitter integration, um, published to all your social media feeds from right there. You can build in ads. They have built-in e-commerce um, that supports checkout and all those kinds of things that are built into the platform. Um, it looks great. It's one. It's the best-looking blogging platform out there. So. Anyway, thanks to Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com. Use offer code POETRY. Get yourself a trial. See what you like. Okay. So we have kind of like a lot of follow-up of ongoing. Like we yeah, just have some meta stories, right? Kind there of we're just a follow for miscellaneous
1: m- you know, show this week. Uh, Simon and Schuster, We t- I think we talked about it when they launched this ebook pilot program. Uh, last year, they signed up 20 different library systems across the United States um, to test out lending ebooks. Uh, and the pilot program went successfully, uh, which is a great thing to hear. Uh, for a while there, there was some tension between various publishers and libraries about how they were going to manage um, ebook lending with their patrons. And so now um, any library across the United States can access Simon & Schuster's whole catalog of of ebooks, everything that they've published, um, they buy a copy of the ebook that's good for a, a one like the terms state that it's good for one year. Um, it can only be lent to one patron at a time, just like a physical book. Uh, but here is the really great thing, and the thing that makes this different from other publisher library agreements, is that they can lend the ebook an unlimited number of mm. times within that one year period. Um, it seems that publishers are starting to figure out uh, that just like lending print books through libraries. Lending ebooks is a thing that is ultimately good for them and their bottom line. Um, and so there's no, you can have this ebook and only lend it 16 times, which I think was a HarperCollins They were um, also
0: different. Rule. It's impossible to remember uh, right. the, the various minutiae <laughs> of each, each publisher's deal.
1: Right. But so this is good. This is movement towards uh making ebooks just as accessible for for library patrons as print books are, and because they don't take up physical space, ebooks can be more accessible uh, so there will be no limits uh, beyond what a library is willing to uh, to purchase and to lend. Um, so I'm happy super happy to see this that Simon and Schuster is you know joining digital progress and opening up this service so that libraries can provide readers with all the books they want. Feel like it's we've good. Got,
0: I've, we've got another year, 18 months of pain on like making ebooks available to libraries and then pain as far as the eye can see for actually checking out ebooks from your library. Um, there's a couple of things, but this is the move in the right direction. Yeah, this
1: is absolutely the right direction. You, would, I can't imagine publishers saying to libraries, like, here's the full catalog of our print books, and you're only allowed to purchase from this section of the catalog right. for your library. Um, so to see that they're starting to equate um, ebooks with print books, and it's just a difference in how the book is delivered, uh, seems to be... Good mm-hmm. good movement. I'm happy for this. There's not really much else to say except like good job Simon and Schuster.
0: Yeah, good that's a good thing to see. Um so that's one figuring out ebooks and all the distribution channels. That's one big narrative, right? And libraries is a major chain that mm-hmm. it has its own pricing and distribution issues. Um sort of getting worked out. The other meta level narrative we've been following and probably will be following for as long as you, you and I exist on this planet <laughs> is the consolidation and the changing of how the publishing industry itself is put together and as we've talked about for what feels like 10,000 years now Hachette forever Hachette is in an ongoing dispute with Amazon but not content only to be in a dispute with Amazon they're moving other pieces of the chessboard and they have agreed to purchase Perseus Books which is a Big, Big. middle-sized publisher. If that makes sense. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it's not one of the big five, but it's one of the big, however many that are right below that.
0: Right. They have 680 employees. Excuse me, 650 employees in eight offices. Um, That includes PGW, DeCapo, Westview Presses, Consortium, Running Press. Um, A lot of those people work at their huge warehouse in Tennessee. Um, but what they're gonna do is they're buying the, the back list and the, the, I guess the front list to a Perseus. Mm-hmm. And then they also have a, dis- Perseus has a distribution, um, I guess, comp- part of their company that does distribution for a bunch of smaller presses. And those are being sold to Ingram, which is one of the big book distributors. So it's kind of a, they're taking the, the pig and splitting it in half um, and giving the, the parts to the, the people that make um, the most sense. You know, this is a shed at scale. It's like HarperCollins buying Harlequin, right? Yep. I mean, is that, is it is I don't know if it's any more complicated than that.
1: No, I think it, you know, it comes at an interesting. Time because this week there was no real news in the development of this Amazon Hachette dispute. There were no more rockets fired from either side of that. Um, but to be reminded of how huge Hachette mm-hmm. is, uh, the piece that we're reading from was in uh, Publisher's Marketplace this week, and they note that they were told definitively that Perseus's publishing revenues are between 90 and $100 million Annually, um, mm. following a series of record years that they've had, so um, there's not been a public announcement of how much Hachette paid to acquire Perseus, but it's not a small amount of money if you're talking about yeah. uh, ninety or a hundred million dollars just from their publishing revenue.
0: And then their distribution was. As another hundred million or so, and that's going right. to Ingram. Right, and,
1: and Hachette has been talking about, you know, aggressively growing their backlist. This is a lot of um, serious nonfiction. Mm-hmm. It, uh, Hachette Livre, the Hachette, the big company is Hachette Livre, and they're based in France. Um, so they are focusing on growing in the U.S. Um, and this consolidation is part of it. Yep. Uh, but interesting to see this. Juxtaposed against um, some of the stuff we've seen in the previous weeks about defending Hachette and protecting Hachette from big bad <laughs> Amazon. <laughs> um, if you are making deals to buy companies that are doing a hundred million dollars annually in revenue, you're not little.
0: Um, yeah, Hachette does seven hundred forty million dollars <laughs> in revenue off their own publishing, right? So it adds about fifteen percent to that their puts b- them, bottom line revenue.
1: That puts you pretty close to a billion dollars. Pretty close pretty in close. annual revenue. It's, it's going to be interesting and it might be frustrating to watch what happens between Hachette and Amazon and then to think about potential fallout from that that will affect other parties in publishing, authors and booksellers and mm-hmm. libraries. Um, but Hachette itself does not seem to be in a position where it, it needs protection or quote unquote support from mm-hmm. readers uh, to stay alive. They, they seem to be doing just fine.
0: Perseus was privately held, so someone did okay with this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, uh, yeah, it's they add si- about six thousand titles into some areas they haven't been before, you know. If I'm, and if I'm Hachette and I can do this, I do this, right? I make it more painful for Amazon not to carry me, mm-hmm. uh, in a sense. Um, it also means their their gross revenues will now exceed Simon and Schuster's. So I think that would put them at about third place, bet- mm-hmm. between behind Random Penguin, and then. Um, uh, what's it, Harper, and now I think Heshat will be third, and, and then Simon, Simon and, and then McMillan, and then HMH. I think that's kind of how it goes. Yeah. Um, but they they leapfrog someone, like, and it doesn't really matter. You know, there's no like big lead. There's no big board where if once you leapfrog someone else, you get new special privileges and powers. But it does sort of make you have a little bit more scale, a little bit more efficiency, um, a little bit more. Um, Ammo to fire at Amazon or anyone else, for that matter. Honestly, um, that might <laughs> uh, get in you, uh, get in your way.
1: Um, the leapfrogging imagery. I'm just sitting here picturing like a video game based of, on <laughs> publishers, and they jump into the Mario frog suit and get to like bloop bloop bloop. Yeah, and,
0: seriously. I don't know it's
1: Friday afternoon, but could we make this more fun? <laughs> I, I think so.
0: I mean, you, you don't think that f- talking about insider business <laughs> deals on e-books and li- libraries is fun?
1: With you, it is, Jeff. Ah, there you go. With the internet in general. It could use some Mario.
0: I, we've got another industry story. This this was really the big story of the week, that um, Barnes & Noble in its fiscal year-end um, annual report, if any of you are still awake, I salute you. <laughs> um, uh, you know, a couple interesting things, but the big news is that they're going to separate the Barnes & Noble retail com- part of the company from the Nook part of the company, mm-hmm. which has been long rumored. Yeah. Nook has been a millstone around the financial um, reporting weight of Barnes & Noble for some time, um, and they're going to separate them off and I guess let Nook sink or swim on its own, but try to unlock some of the, the good things that are really happening at Barnes & Noble. Um, this piece in Market Watch is what I'm reading. It said that the, this combined earnings, the E-B-I-T-D-A, now um, I'm
1: definitely asleep. Yeah,
0: definitely asleep. Whatever. But the way they um, they the way they figure their earnings is 251 million dollars, the highest in four years. That's the part I really want to get at. the 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 number they use to man, to um, chart their growth and their health is higher than it's been in four years. Um, and Nook though has been lo- losing them at like 275 million dollars mm-hmm. a year in um, growing, um, and the revenues from the ebook business is really falling. And I think now that we can sort of get out of that minutiae just for a second, I thought it might be worth talking about. Like, I think this says a couple of things. One is, I don't know if it's surprising, but the very real, at least middle-term endurance of print book sales. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Barnes & Noble is still selling a lot of print books. They've been cutting costs a lot, so their overall revenue is down, but they're making more money off what they do sell. Um, and we've seen this with, you know, a rebound in the number of independent bookstores, um, so that's one part of it. I think the other part of it, too, is, boy, it's hard to compete with Amazon and e-books. Man, it's tough. Yep. Um, it, it sounds like, from what we've heard and what this MarketWatch thing says, that they're, they entered into a new agreement with Samsung. It'll be like a co-branding thing. But Barnes & Noble and Nook, well, Barnes & Noble is getting out of the Nook business, but Nook itself is getting out of the device business so they're going to focus on apps that you read on your iP- use on your iPad mm-hmm. or your Google tablet or anything else like that. So that's that's what I that's what I'm seeing here. Anything what do you think about this? Is that that's is it another simple one that looks complicated? I don't know. Maybe it's not.
1: You know, I I mean I think there's interesting pieces a thing that we've been talking about offline with it also is Th- that this doesn't fit the narrative that floats around the internet that you and I are constantly shaking our fists at of mm-hmm. publishing is dying, books are in trouble, like and, like all books are in trouble. And um, so authors are going to be screwed and readers are going to be screwed and the end is, is near. Yeah. <laughs> the end is not nigh. Like you put your sandwich board back in the closet <laughs> um, for a while because... Highest revenue in four years, doing better than you've been doing in four years, starting to solve some problems, figuring out what to do to make Nook uh, cost them less mm-hmm. uh, and maybe this sets up nook to be acquired by samsung um that,
0: microsoft could wholly yeah, buy it if they didn't want to there, be in the barnes and noble business themselves right,
1: there are mm-hmm. some interesting pieces here but the like the big message is barnes and noble is doing better mm-hmm. than it has done in four years yeah it's um, old
0: business is doing better way better than it's it's a uh, new business
1: right and for the largest bookstore chain uh in the country to be holding that out. Um, and, and I wonder if maybe Barnes & Noble is getting some some bump because de- of declines in indie bookstore sales. Um, like well, the most, borders
0: being gone. I mean, that right, probably corresponds gone, to so four the, years ago.
1: Like the most recent numbers that we looked at about market share went from indie bookstores having about 6% of the book selling market to about 3%, three percent, mm-hmm. and it maybe those three percent of people are going into Barnes and Noble stores or ordering from Barnes and Noble online rather than converting to Amazon, or a section of them are I don't I don't know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but the the sky's not yet falling is what I'm walking away from this.
0: Yeah, with. I mean, I, I tweeted about this when this came out. I mean, we talked about last week on the show the um, the health of the profit margin well, the, the profit margins too, but the overall revenues of the big five publishers, uh, over the last four years is up 37%. Mm-hmm. Um, and Barnes and Noble is having, um, four year highs on earnings. And there are more bookstores opening over the last couple years than are closing. So it's not shrinking anymore. Right. It's not growing huge, but we're hearing more stories about people open, trying to open up stores and less and less about how everything's dying. So, uh, I don't, I'm not, a. I, you know, I actually got an email from, um, one of you listeners last week saying, you know, I'm surprised uh, that you guys have Audible sponsorships because I know Jeff, you you hate Amazon and you're so strongly against Amazon, um, which I was a little surprised here though. I, I think in hindsight I kind of understand. I'm not really anti Amazon. Um, I am very very watchful of Amazon, <laughs> but the thing I really care about is trying to think as clearly about this stuff as I can, um, and so that's why you know if there's a count, there is a counter narrative to. Amazon's killing everyone. Is that well? Amazon certainly put a dent in their overall revenues, but publishing and Barnes and Noble and any bookstores—the ones that are still around—are adapting. Like they're, you know, that's one thing that people forget about competition: is it's not just a one-way street, where you know Amazon comes in and just like beats the crap out of you, and you just sit there and take it. No, well, you you try to learn how to use your left hand and how to (laughs) dodge a little bit and (laughs) uh, and things that go on of that nature. And I think if you, you know, I'm also cherry picking my data a little bit, that if you do over 12 years, the thing, the the trend lines look differently. But if you look at the last four years, as people have had time to try to react to Amazon, do things differently with digital books and so on and so forth, they're figuring it out. Because as much as people like to pound on publishing and Barnes and Noble and how dumb everyone is and how smart Bezos is, there's a lot of smart people at a lot of these companies.
1: Yeah, and I think the Hachette acquisition points to this as well, of Hachette acquiring Perseus that, and I think someone in my Twitter... Stream said it more eloquently than I'm about to. And I wish I could remember who that person was so I could give them mm-hmm. credit. But that Jeff Bezos is not the only one who's playing a long game right. yeah. here. Um, the Random House Penguin merger last year should have reminded us of that. And this Hachette acquisition of Perseus. You, know, there, you can look at continued consolidation as a sign that the end times are coming. Um, but you can also look at it as a sign that now people at the top of these Big, big businesses. They're regrouping, are, you know, uh, they're right, marshalling they're, their forces. They're starting ways. to do some active problem solving instead of the hand wringing. Mm. And in the same way that there's probably a year or two years left of pain for like libraries adapting to the ebook thing and publishers working that out. I don't think that we're Looking near a finish line for pain being over between Amazon and everyone else in publishing. But it's really fantastic to see that these problems are being solved by indie booksellers, by publishers who are looking at new ways of doing things, by other services that are popping up to sort of fill some of the Mm -hmm. gaps that are, that have been left. Um, there's a lot of really interesting and exciting stuff happening in books. Um, and it would be so great if we could talk about that more. um, Sure. Or at
0: least in some kind of moderation, because I'm also not saying that, um, we all can come out from our bomb shelters um, (laughs) and the war is over. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that either. I'm saying, I don't know. Uh, and I also, something else on Twitter, it's like saying, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Let's pay attention is not as good of a narrative and it doesn't make for as good as internet as Amazon's killing us and they're evil um, let's do something about it. Or Amazon's the best thing that ever happened to books. Screw all you guys who don't like them. Um, I'm not sure I'm in the middle ground. I'm, -hmm. I'm kind of on the side ground, kind of trying to figure out, um, what would make the most sense.
1: Right. And I think it's the thing that I would want to point out to that listener, to our listeners in general is, but we try not to be pro or con Amazon or anybody else um, in the bigger business sense, because you and I and I think Book Riot in general are less concerned about what happens to like big books or what happens to publishing, and than we are about what's good for mm-hmm. readers. And that di- that's an important distinction in thinking about this. What happens to like I personally am invested in what happens to indie bookstores because I value them, but and i believe that what happens to indie bookstores big picture affects what's good for readers what's good for books but it's possible that you like amazon and that's fine <laughs> if amazon serves you as a reader and is doing what you want and like your your best possible world that you can imagine is a world where amazon just runs everything because of the way that they serve their customers. That's an acceptable way to think about it too. And we and we get into this like locked false binary conversation right. um, so many times about either you're for Amazon or you're against them. And if you're not actively campaigning against Amazon, you're part of the problem. Um, it's it, And that makes for better internet and better clickbait um, than a nuanced conversation does. But there are a lot of pieces on the board and to simplify it that way or to think that readers have to make one decision or the other in order to be doing the the right thing um, for books. You know, I think if you're a reader, you do the right thing for your reading life and the things that uh, to the extent that you care about the future of publishing. Yeah, you think make an effect, but like I, it, I think sometimes it would be really great to just be a reader who reads books and is not at all concerned about the future
0: of publishing. Well, most of them are. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, most readers are. Um, I mean, we're interested in it for personal, financial, professional reasons. Also, I'm just. I think the whole thing is fascinating. I mean, yeah. uh, on a meta level, I think it's a very interesting. I don't know, on if chess it. game is the right metaphor. <laughs> but... Know,
1: I think it kind of is. I'm thinking about um, the Merchants of Culture, which yeah. uh, I know we've both read, which is a great book about the history of the publishing industry. If this is stuff that's yeah, ringing a bunch of yeah. your bells, and it's it, this is history repeating itself, consolidate, you know, mm-hmm. companies acquiring each other, publishers consolidating. Um, before the there were the big six, there were like the big twelve that mm-hmm. bought each other and partnered up, um, and so this is not the first time that. It, Something along these lines has happened in response to new technology and publishing. The invention of the paperback did this to publishing before ebooks and etail did. Yeah.
0: Well, you can look at other industries, like it would be hard to imagine in um, you know, 1919 that some American car company was going to beat Ford right. or, or that Ford wouldn't be the leader of the automobile industry for the foreseeable future. It's still around but it's just one of many interesting players. Um, I kind of do feel like what might be happening is some of these companies that are in publishing that Amazon's had a really adverse effect on, at least uh, on a top level. I think maybe they are kind of regrouping and marshaling our forces, you know, Mm -hmm. Harper buying Harlequin penguin random house merging. Um, We might see another of the big five go together. Hachette buying Perseus. Like, I wouldn't be surprised over the le- next 2 years we see more pushback on Amazon on a variety of fronts.
1: Even I don't remember if you said it on a show or in a conversation mm-hmm. we had offline but like the thing that keeps that we keep creeping up to is how interesting it would be if somebody as big as Penguin Random House yeah, just said no to Amazon. They publish more than 50% of the trade books mm-hmm. that come out in a year. And so if they told Amazon you know, uh, of the mm. books that come out from big publishers, you're You just losing, ain't it. You just right. not you're, a, losing you're not access, a retailer anymore. Right. You're losing access to 50% of all the books you would have been able to sell. We're going to roll our own or we're going to focus on selling through Barnes & Noble and yeah. indie booksellers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the more the power in publishing is consolidated... I I think the more likely it is that somebody is going to take that swing.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you think about unintended consequences too. Let's say, for example, that Penguin Random House consolidates. They get more powerful. The big five become the big three or two. um, And let's say they beat Amazon. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's say they beat Amazon. Is that good that we now have the big two and Amazon's gone? Like, I'm not sure we'd love that world. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, there's a lot of weird things to start thinking about in that mm-hmm. regard. Um, so, uh, you know, it's 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 difficult to say, you know, which of these outcomes is really the best. Um, Amazon existing for a lot of people in publishing might be the worst case scenario, but it ain't the worst case scenario uh, in general. Like, you know, kind of we've talked about this before on the show and and offline as well. Is like, our prime directive is something along the lines of. A diverse, number of tit- a diverse number of good quality titles. Mm-hmm. That's really all we want from the industry um, for ourselves and for other readers. And as long as that happens, I think everything else can kind of sort itself out. I, it's hard for me to see a world or some alignment of these businesses where suddenly there's a lot fewer books that we want to read. Like I just don't see that. Do you see that happening? Like it's hard for no. me to imagine what would need to take place for that to be the case.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't see that happening. I think it's possible that fewer books will be published, or that fewer books will get the big marketing dollars, and that's a thing that already occurs um, as publishers, you know, at least say that they have less money to spend. On marketing, But there are still more new books that I'm interested in in any given year than I can keep up with, not to mention all the backlist mm-hmm. in the world. Um, so it, it's hard for me to imagine publishing shrinking to a point that there aren't enough interesting new books to keep readers going, to keep us supplied with diverse content. And, and I'm um, not saying
0: that can't happen. Um, but I'm just saying I have a very hard time yeah, myself coming up with a scenario. Which it's
1: hard, it's just hard to picture that yeah taking place. Um, as we wrap up the conversation about Amazon, it might be worth noting if you're in New York and you're interested in this on Tuesday, July first, um, the New York Public Library is hosting. A, they're calling it a debate, but it sounds to me like it's really just going to be a conversation uh, with a bunch of publishing professionals, um, James Patterson, Morgan Intrican, who is the publisher and president of Grove Atlantic. Uh, there will be an attorney there, uh, a theorist, a political person, and um, the person who's the elected chair of the Pulitzer Prize board, Daniel Allen, will be in conversation with a literary agent named Tina Bennett Um having a discussion called Amazon Business as Usual, Uh, and it will focus on the Hachette-Amazon dispute, what's at stake for the companies, for authors, and for readers. Uh, And they're going to look at the larger issue, um, it says here, of free market capitalism and free speech. That's at play. Um, So if you wanna nerd out about the industry or hear what a bunch of of experts from various positions within publishing have to say again, that's July 1st at the New York Public Library. We'll drop a link uh, to the debate I don't know what they're going to debate. Uh, this but sounds that makes...
0: to me like, let's get together to be afraid of Amazon. Just from, like the people on the panel. <laughs> like, you know, and, I guess uh, specifically... the conversation
1: element of this is interesting. Um, these are pretty reputable folks in publishing, and I'm curious about what they have to say. But also, I guess my... my inner skeptic that looks yeah. not too far below the surface is a little like well what is this actually going to accomplish are they going to like send jeff bezos the bullet points from the conversation they're like well we have determined that you are not good for free market capitalism and so so well uh, it's, the, it's, the it's, con- it's like the consequences of this are unclear to me you know
0: i hadn't really thought about this before just this moment even though it's something i felt for a while and tell me if if your sense of it is the same as mine but it feels to me like the, the, the sort of intellectual class, the leftist intellectual class online, if there is such a thing, is kind of, there's kind of a homogeny of opinion, right? That mm-hmm. Amazon is bad. Right. Like, I, I don't run across very many articles in The New Yorker or, or Slate or, <laughs> so, or, you know, wherever else you want to go, The Atlantic or The Economist that is like, you know what, actually, Amazon is, is good for literature and books and reading culture.
1: Or even maybe it's not the worst. Or maybe it's
0: not the worst. Those types of things tend to come out of the sub, self-publishing community. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, frankly, a lot of the people that read Book Ride on a day-in, day-out basis who are big Amazon fans and like it for the reasons a lot of people like Amazon. It's uh, convenient, it's fast, uh, and it's inexpensive. Um, you know, they're like, it's good for me, uh, you know, in that kind of way, which... You know, it has its strengths and weaknesses as an as argument, but you don't see a lot of real discussion amongst the sort of lefty, thinky kind of book nerd online mm-hmm. people um, happening at all. So I'd, that's a panel I'd go to if I could somehow magically guarantee myself that people would be like, I'm not sure what I think, but let's talk. I don't think that's going to be, you know, a slash. Just a fest. bunch
1: of right statements about how it's bad and everyone's yeah. upset. We do have a, a contributor maybe a couple of book right contributors who are going to attend. So we'll oh, we hear do? about oh, it. I'm so we glad. do. Um and maybe there'll be audio from it afterwards, the New York Public Library records a lot of their mm-hmm. events. Um so I think at best it could be a really interesting discussion from people who have been in the industry for a long time and who know some things yeah. um about at least what their real concerns are are, and it would be great if they could acknowledge um, the benefits as well, um, at least to readers, if not to big publishing, yeah, of working with Yeah, I think it's going to be the choir but, preaching to the choir. Or, or, but it's, uh, yeah, this is maybe community building by complaining.
0: <laughs> Which, hey, you and I, in our own way, have uh, done at our own time. There's nothing sure, wrong with sure that. Sure, sure we have. Speaking of the New York Public Library, um, I like this story, boy. Um, yeah, this is a good one. There, The New York Public Library got a grant to begin... Um, loaning out Wi-Fi as one of the services um, that they can uh, offer their patrons. So um, you can check out for a year a Wi-Fi hotspot that comes preloaded with a year worth of Wi-Fi and use it and then return it
1: so great. It's so cool.
0: They're starting out with a it's batch a, of 10,000.
1: Yeah, they got a half million dollar grant. Yeah,
0: sounds like a lot, right? Well, 8 million people live in New York, so we're going to be fighting over these. Um, mm-hmm. But it's going to be targeted at low-income New Yorkers who don't usually have access to broadband. So if you can make a case, I guess, um, you might start... I don't know how the application process is going to happen. Um, I'll put the link to the show notes if this is something you yourself um, could make use of or someone you know. Uh, I think this is really, really cool. I know... Um, the public library branches in New York that I go to at all, there are a lot of people there to use the internet. Um, and it's one of the things that I think is important for a library to do today, just personally. But I also like this idea of reimagining the library as a place where you loan out resources for information gathering mm-hmm. and consumption and not just, you know, recognizing that books are not the end all be all of information, but an important part, but a, you know, there's a complicated array they're reimagining what they can do with the resources they get from individual grants and in the in the state oh. um and donations oh, and what they what they can do with that. It reminds me I saw a story this week too I'll try to find a link for the show notes about a college I think it's the University of South Florida that's going to let some of their students um, check out drones from the library. To use for whatever, you know, if they're doing a photography project or some sort of um, landscape design or any number of projects, you can imagine all sorts of ways that you could use aerial photography of different angles um, that previously, you know, you need a helicopter or plane for. But for a $500 drone, you know, you could spend an afternoon shooting the tops of whatever you wanted to see or go to places you couldn't get a camera. Um, so those are two really cool ideas of reimagining what a library
1: can That's do. so It's so great. We've talked several times about programs that libraries have taken on to teach their page, their patrons more about how the Internet works or how you can y- use online resources. And I, I love this step of not just you have to come into the library and use the library's internet on a limited number of computers, which I, I believe some libraries even have to limit the amount of time that a patron can spend mm-hmm, on the computer do, because yeah. there's so much demand for it, um, but that there's real value in in having internet at home. And if you're listening to this show, you are likely a person who already gets to benefit from having the internet at home,
0: uh, yeah. and
1: and not being limited in the amount of time or the way that you can access information online. Being able to Google anything you want anytime you want to uh, is amazing. And uh, applying for jobs and all sorts of things. This is really cool. Uh, it's awesome to see the New York Public Library leading the way here. I wonder if anybody else is doing this.
0: Yeah. So a fifty a five hundred thousand dollar grant for ten thousand dollar hotspot. So it's fifty bucks per hotspot. For the year. So they must be getting a deal from service providers, too, of some kind. Yeah. They're being subsidized in that way as well, which is so. Good job, service providers. We like to hear that. All right. Very Should we cool. do our next sponsor?
1: Yeah, our next sponsor. We have Random House Audiobooks uh, is back, and we're happy to have them. Uh, we're both big audiobook fans. And so we know that if you need motivation for your workout, if you're working on a craft project that's like taking forever uh, and you're sitting there thinking, why am I knitting when I could be holding a book uh, in my hands? Or just if you have a family road trip coming up this summer, you want to spice up your daily commute or your dog walk. Um, I listen to audiobooks on the way to the gym and while walking my dog. I know you listen to them uh, while you're running around New York City and while you're taking your kids back and Mm -hmm. forth uh, to daycare and running errands. You can Basically, any time that you're not sitting reading a book, you could probably incorporate an audio book.
0: You know what? When um, in our old apartment that we lived in for 12 years, um, we didn't have a dishwasher. Oh. And actually, audiobooks made me sort of look forward to doing the dishes. I, not, yeah. not all the way, but like if I was in the middle of a good audiobook, I didn't, you know, oh, okay, I can do the dishes <laughs> and listen to the audiobook book. Like I kind of liked it. Yeah. Not terrible. I'm,
1: I am a terrible housekeeper, but if I put on an audiobook to take the dog out for a walk and I come back in and I'm in the middle of an interesting part or I'm not yet at the end of a chapter or something, I migrate toward the dishes and then the dishes get done more frequently so that I can just Maybe do service. Maybe we should tell
0: Random House Audiobooks that they should have a section. Well, because they have sections. <laughs> they like do. if you're going to do knitting or you're traveling. Right. They should have a section for make terrible tasks not as terrible. <laughs> That you so can, like, what books you, is good for that?
1: Right. If you uh, are new to audiobooks, but you're thinking this sounds like something that you want to do while you're traveling or working out or crafting or whatever, uh, you go to tryaudiobooks.com. You can plug in uh, what you're looking for, the length of time that you're looking for, and it will pop out some suggestions for you. You can also look at um, popular e- popular uh, audiobooks. I don't know why I keep wanting to talk about ebooks books um, <laughs> For fitness, or for crafting, or for travel, or about tech and science fiction, or for gardening. There's all sorts um, of great recommendations. And Random House, being as big as Random House is, you are bound to find something. Uh, so you can use their tools and the recommendation engines at tryaudiobooks.com. And then you can purchase the audiobook from uh, the retailer... Of your choice, either a digital edition or the CDs to listen to, um, whatever your preference is. But they have they have great stuff. One of my recent favorite audiobooks is from Random House, and it was um, I Don't Know What You Know Me From by Judy Greer, uh, who's a very recognizable uh, character actress. She plays supporting roles in many things, but she would be one of those actresses that you probably see her and you're like, oh, it's her. I know her. Oh, (laughs)
0: her.
1: Right, she's that, you were in that thing. Um, She was Kitty on Arrested Development, which is where I know her from. Um, But she's been in a bunch of movies and on a a bunch of TV series as well. And it's her memoir um, about how she grew up and got into acting, what it's like to be an actress who's successful but not a superstar. Um, and it's just funny. She's funny and witty. It was fun to drive around listening to her for several hours and hearing her stories. Um, really enjoyable, good stuff. Uh, so uh, if, you're, if you're looking.
0: I, uh, I will not, I can't shut up about Creativity Incorporated by Ed Catmull, which is also published by Random House. I listened to an audio Um, And I picked it next week We're on Book Riot where the editors and contributors are putting together our our big list of the best books we've read in 2014 so far. And Creativity Incorporated by Ed Catmull is my pick. He is the chief technical officer um, of Pixar and Disney Animation Studios and one of the three basic heads of Pixar with John Lasseter and Steve Jobs. Um, who made it into the company it was and were all part of the team when it was sold to Disney for $7.4 billion in 2006. Um, he talks a lot about management and how to run a company that values creativity and also you get the backstory and some inside dope um, on Pixar and Disney and The Incredibles and Toy Story and how originally Woody in Toy Story was going to be a much 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 bigger of a jerk oh. um, than he turned out to be. Hmm. Yeah, they like they showed the reels to to um, the people, uh, J- Lasseter, and they looked at it and they're like, "He is a jerk. No one's going to watch this." So they went back and redid the story and um, really um, oh, defanged him to some degree. So um, that's creativity incorporated. But Ed, I was just thinking as you were, we were talking about, you know, what, could, what else could you do while listening to audiobooks? I was watching the NBA draft last night, mm-hmm. which was slow but not as slow as, say, a baseball game. So if you're someone that likes to watch baseball on television and you don't care too much for the announcers, you could easily listen to an audio (laughs) book while watching sports, right?
1: Yeah, Bob, uh, my husband, loves the Patrick O'Brien Master and Commander books, and he has this dream that we have not done yet, but of like being at the beach for two weeks and just sitting in a nice... Room watching the waves crash, or like sitting out on a balcony looking at the ocean, listening to seafaring stories. <laughs> I think, I mean, you can do all kinds of things.
0: You could, um, I, oh, I have, oh, play pl- video games. I, you play could. video games if you don't care about the sound. You can listen to an audiobook have, while playing video games. I have, games. in
1: like, in the occasion that an audiobook is really compelling, I have plugged it into or popped it over onto the um. What is the word for? I don't know what you're going to say.
0: I'm on the edge of my seat here. It could be anything.
1: <laughs> this uh, we we have a speaker that connects to my phone through Wi-Fi. It's blue something. Bluetooth. 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 Yes. Friday afternoon, <laughs> loss of vocabulary. I um put my audio book into the Bluetooth speaker and carried the speaker into the bathroom while I showered and oh, listened. Really? Yeah, I've listened to some nerdy business books that way.
0: <laughs> In the shower, audio in the <laughs> well, shower. Like this That's is interesting.
1: I mean, it's kind of great. Like you know, you listen to music in the shower sometimes, or I do. Like, why not? Are, are you to... in the
0: shower for hours on end? I mean, <laughs> is that is, uh, that seems like a lot of work to go for fifteen minutes of audiobook. <laughs>
1: well, it was more like I need to take a shower now, and, and, and I want to keep listening to okay, this, understand. so I'm. Not, that, it's going here. with me.
0: I mock, but no judgment.
1: I know, well, Bob did he, the first time that he was home when that happened. He stuck his head in the bathroom and just yelled, "No!"
0: You know, since it is summertime too, mow in the lawn.
1: Oh, yeah, you could. Put your
0: headphones on and do some uh, yard work out there.
1: I know lots of people who listen to audiobooks while they cook. Um, oh, and, if and I if you, cooked,
0: that's something I would consider yeah, as listening I, to an audiobook while I've cooking. I've
1: thought about it. I need to because I cook a lot and, I, you know, you can't like easily stand over the stove The, the pork shoulder is not going to braise itself. Right. It takes two hands to flip the pork shoulder once an hour Mm-mm. inside the Dutch oven. Uh, but if I were listening to an audiobook, I wouldn't have to stop what I was doing. <laughs> At any rate. <laughs> If all Anyways, of this sounds interesting yeah. to you, uh, you can go to tryaudiobooks.com. We just want you to try
0: audiobooks. If you haven't, just, just try it. Just give it a just shot. Just try it.
1: With this deal at tryaudiobooks.com, you can listen to your favorite author, find a new bestseller, give any part of your routine a fresh perspective, uh, and add some bookishness to it. And tryaudiobooks.com also has free downloads available, so you can give it a shot without it costing you. Anything. So, thank you to Random House Audio for sponsoring it for letting us go down <laughs> this weird rabbit hole about.
0: I think that's a how, sign of a good sponsor when you can go down a rabbit hole I related think so to too. it. Um, let's get to new books. But before we kind of segue, a new book. It's so new that it's not out yet, and so new that it won't be out until next summer. Um, Judy and- Bloom, <laughs> Big JB herself, it was announced this week is publishing her first new adult novel.
1: We we really need a different
0: term for adult novel because that sounds like something else. (laughs) Um, her, Her novel for adults? I don't know. In 2015, not, I think,
1: yeah, they're trying to get it. It's not for kids or young not, adults. Not,
0: it's not a YA book. Yeah, it's not an, a middle grade book. Um, the, the, that's all we know about it. Yeah, right?
1: there's like no details about this yet. It's coming out from Knopf, which is one of the kind of serious literary arms of Random House. Oh, you know, I didn't
0: think about that as a Knopf book. That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, it's, and it's her first book, not for kids or young adults, in um, 17. Years, I am so excited about
0: this. All the Judy Bloom fans are super excited. I, I like Judy Bloom, but I wouldn't say I'm a Judy Bloom fan if that mm. makes sense. But when everyone who I know is is like, oh, there's a new Judy Bloom yeah, coming. Yeah, Judy
1: Bloom's editor Carol Barron gave a quote to the New York Times when this was announced, and all she said was, uh, "It's about family and friendships, love and betrayal, and it's quintessential Judy." So uh, sign me up for this, like.
0: If you if I could click a
1: button now that would drop ship me every new book that Judy (laughs) Bloom ever writes, I would do it.
0: (sighs) That's really funny. Though I have to admit that's kinda like the vanilla ice cream of like adult novel book descriptions, right? Family and and friends. It's about everything. I thought
1: you were gonna say that it's the vanilla ice of something and I was real excited.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, stop, collaborate, and listen. Bloom <laughs> is back hear with books? a brand new invention. Um,
1: <laughs> Something. Yeah, okay. We, we,
0: now we can't do Vanilla Ice lyrics. I mean, it's, it's the summertime book. <laughs> it, it's on.
1: happening, Jeff. Just let it wash over you. <laughs> now tell me <laughs>
0: let about me tell books you, that came out.
1: Let me tell you about new books. This week that are out uh, that came out this past tuesday Uh, one of them is called everything i never told you by celeste Ng, and our uh, colleague amanda nelson picked it as her best book that she's read so far this year she had made a pick and then she read everything i never told you and then she was back in the google doc that we're all sharing changing it up Uh, it's about a chinese-american family uh, Said in the 1970s, which um, has lost one of their children. This happens in the first sentence of the book, so it's not a spoiler. And the couple are sort of trying to regroup and figure oh. out how they're how they're going to move forward after it. But it's also about how the uh, wife in the couple gave up her medical career in order to be a wife and mother, um, and now. That she is not a mother, she's wrestling with that as well. Um, the sort of about you know the choices that we make, um, the pressures that exist on us from family and from work, uh, in our pressures from our personal lives, cultural pressure. Uh, um, Amanda said that she was really impressed also with how Ying handles um, just presenting across a, a multicultural family um, in the mm. United States and the varied issues that came up. Um, She's been talking about it nonstop, and Amanda is not like super effusive. So, no, this that's, means that's
0: interesting. Yeah, this
1: means something when she gets really uh, exclamation pointy about. Uh, about books I'm going to read it next um, I've had it on my desk and I'm really looking forward to it and I think this is probably not the last that we're going to be hearing about everything I never told you it just came out but so much wonderful conversation about it online um, the other big new book this week that I've been hearing a ton about is called Green Girl by Kate Zambrino and it's a um, paperback original from Harper Perennial oh, wait
0: it's a reissue this, came oh, it out. this has been out before it was in the tournament of books oh. re- wait Go ahead. Oh do no, the, you're right. Do, you're right. Sorry. Okay. All right. You're right. All right. I'm right so infrequently that I <laughs> I, I always question it when I when it feels like I'm going to I be. totally
1: thought it was new. I've been getting press releases out the I, wazoo uh, about this.
0: I, and I will, on your defense, insofar as you are defensible, say. Um, there has been a lot of talk about it. She's been doing events at bookstores and the interviews and it's, om- it feels like a new book for as oh, much as they're doing so about it.
1: Here it is. Yeah. It was first published. Now I'm reading the synopsis online. It was first published in 2011 by a small yeah. press. right? And so it got picked up now. That was the small um,
0: press entry in the term of books that year. And I, I read this, but I've largely forgotten it, but I remember thinking it's really, really interesting. Okay. Um, well, so Harper, c- tell Perennial me the synopsis. Do you have it in front of you? Putting it out?
1: Yeah. Um, The heroine Ruth is a young American in London. Um, Right. She spends her days spritzing perfume at a department store that she calls Horrid's, which I would assume is a play on Harrod's. And by night, she is desperately trying to navigate a world colored by the unwanted gaze of others and the uncertainty of her own self-regard. So she joins the canon of young people existing in that important frightening and exhilarating period of drift and anxiety between youth and adulthood and the story is told through the eyes of this young narrator Mm. um yeah that I mean, that also sounds like pretty vague, general, coming-of-age copy, um, like jacket copy, but I'm intrigued.
0: The the thing I remember about it, and again, I didn't take extensive notes since it's been a few years, so all the disclaimers in the world. The thing (laughs) I remember being about it is that she's a young, good-looking woman, and a lot of it is about being the object of the universe's gaze, to Mm -hmm. some degree, um, and what it feels like to be... An it girl, but not having an it. If that makes any kind really of sense. Interesting. That's really interesting. And so, it's it's definitely. An experimental kind of novel, but I thought it was really. I'm not surprised after having read it that the tournament guys over there at the morning news included it. I'm also not surprised that it lost in the first round, but that's not necessarily a, a comment on its quality, just that it's different. Um, and Man, books I'm that are super. Now. Yeah, I think you'll, I'll be interested to hear what well, you say it, about, it, especially in how wrong my memory of it is.
1: It's bubbling up um, just in random places. I think I asked on Twitter yesterday, like booksellers, what are you hand selling mm-hmm. lately? And at least one of them mentioned uh, Green Girl. And then this morning, I was chatting with an author friend who we were just, you know, talking about what we were reading. And she also said that that's what she's reading right now and totally digging it, which this is my favorite way to come across books to read is just seeing a bunch of other uh, people that I love and whose opinions I respect say it all, kind of all at the same time and be like, well, there's the bandwagon I'm going to jump <laughs> <Yeah>. on. <laughs> that sounds interesting. And I know this
0: will just, um, this will further ring your already ringing bells, but she was at an event with uh, Jenny Offal the other night, oh. who wrote the book called The Department of Emergencies or something. What's the name of it?
1: <laughs> D- D- Department of Speculation. Okay. That's pretty close. <laughs> the Department of
0: Department of Emergencies. Actually, that sound, I would read that book, The Department of Emergencies. It sounds like a Jesse Ball novel.
1: It sounds like a TLC reality <laughs> series. Department I of think
0: Emergencies. this exists already. Probably yeah. it does. So that's Green Girl by Kate Zambrino. And Ken,
1: yeah, Kate Zambrino. And then out in paperback, actually out just in paperback <laughs> <laughs> this week, I'm not lying this time, uh, is The Signature of All Things by Elizabeth Gilbert. Uh, you know her from Eat, Pray, Love and her the second memoir, Committed. Um, she's written fiction before, but this was really when people started paying attention to her writing fiction. Uh, it's a multi-generational family story that's set in the and, uh, 18th and 19th century, um, which is really all that I mm-hmm. know about it. Uh, Amanda also really loved this, and really loved it despite her expectations um, for it's it. It's funny, we're, she- we're
0: talking about Amanda, like, she doesn't want to like, or recommend a book. She wants to like a book, but she like kind of doesn't want to go out on a limb and recommend things for some reason. I don't know what that is. For, Hi, I,
1: Amanda! <laughs> uh, maybe
0: maybe it's just she doesn't want uh, other people to well, not like it or something.
1: I think um, given her experience with Eat, Pray, Love and I'll say for myself, uh, given my experience with Eat, Pray, Love, like I have not read the signature of all things. I was just prepared when it came out to not read it because I didn't care for Eat, Pray, Love um, and have not been a fan of Elizabeth Gilbert's work. But Amanda at least took the step of like, well, I'm prepared to not like it, but I'm going to read it. <laughs> Anyway, And it turned out, I think that it was one of her picks for, it was, um, I
0: remember that for the best
1: books, the best books of 2013. We give, we give it, each contributor gets two and this was one of hers.
0: You know uh, what? That's it. I'm only reading books that Amanda can't help but recommend from now on. <laughs> That's all I'm reading.
1: This would be an interesting, like, books you like despite your best intentions not to. (laughs) That's a
0: good list. I like that. That would be
1: an interesting list. And anyway, those are the new books that are out this week. Uh, Thank you again to Squarespace and to Random House Audiobooks for sponsoring uh, you can go to squarespace.com and use the code poetry at checkout uh, to get your first month for free and you can visit try audiobooks.com mm. to get a free audiobook from random house and check out new things and that's our show
0: that that is our show uh as always you can find us on twitter i'm at reading ape she is at rebecca shinsky s-c-h-i-n-s-k-y you can find us writing all the time at book Riot at bookriot.com. speaking of amanda
1: She's going to be back next week. She's going to be
0: back on the show next week. And I would like to take the moment to say she is taking over the daily editor duties of Book Riot next week. Mm -hmm. So we're super excited about that. So thank you to Amanda and congratulations and good work and all of that stuff that's going on next week. Um, Rebecca and I are still doing stuff, just different kind of stuff. and uh let's see if you want to leave us a review on itunes in the summertime you know what you could listen to an audiobook while leaving us a review on itunes that's something you could do it be a short audiobook um or a really long review either way your choice um that helps people find the show gets us more listeners more listeners gets us more sponsors more sponsors it means we get to keep these diamond encrusted podcast mics that we um are paying monthly installments on um you know and that's, you know, we've we got to live with a little swag. What can I say? Uh, if you want to find show notes for the show, go to bookriot.com slash podcast. You can find the links to all the stories we talked about and the books we talked about for this show and all the other shows. If you've got feedback for us, um, if you're wondering how much, uh, why I hate Amazon so much, that's the place to ask it. I will respond to you um, in a very cogent and not at all um, angry way. Um that's podcast at I've, I'm getting cynical here at the end. What happened? I got know. a little sarcastic.
1: I'm, I'm back at diamond encrusted podcast mics. That's a,
0: that's a callback to, I think, our first show. I made a joke about that. <laughs> I'm surprised you don't have um, everything I've ever said on the I tip am of just your weighed
1: down by my Flave Flav clock <laughs> necklace. We should <laughs> get <one's>
0: podcast <laughs> mic clock necklaces. Yes. That would definitely be something I would not wear. I think um,
1: Geek probably already <laughs> makes them.
0: <laughs> with like we're, a with like a Doctor Who joke emblazoned <laughs> on it,
1: <laughs> we're cooked, man. This is it. This
0: is it. We're done. You know. Have a good. We, we gotta week. get back. Uh, I will <laughs> talk to you guys someplace. Have have a good week, everybody. <laughs> Bye.